Get out your Bibles if you have one. Open it up to the book of Luke chapter 2. If you did not bring a Bible, that's okay. We have a number of them available for you. You can either borrow it for the hour or you can even take it home. It's a gift from our church to you. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, which is on the Bibles we've distributed. The one I'll be teaching out of is on page 857. 857, and then we'll, a little bit later, we'll move to John chapter 14. And I'll try to remember to give you the page number then. If I don't, just raise your hand. All right, so Luke chapter 2, 857 is where we're going to be. As I mentioned, this is the Advent season. And as we look back to the moment where Jesus came, we ask the question, as we look into the future, we ask the question, will this be the year that Jesus returns? It's, it's the beginning of a new season where people that uh, have received Jesus as Lord ask the question, is this the year that Jesus will return? We celebrate the coming of Jesus and anticipate his return because Jesus was able to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. I want you to think about that. All right, think about that. Before we get into the talk today, uh, I do want to make you aware of something that we have, uh, we want to bless you with and to give to you as a gift. JJ, and uh, a few others have gotten together and made an album uh, with some of the songs that we sing as a church. That way you have a resource during the week to put in your car, put on your iPod, uh, and uh, to listen to. That is going to be free to you. It's a gift from our church, free to you. We encourage you to take this album and to download it and to um, distribute it to people that you're trying to invite to Faith Conversations and hopefully our church and say, hey, this is some of the music we do on a weekly basis. So this is a gift to you. To get that free download, we're going to ask that you would, uh, after the service is over, make your way back to, one of, to, the, to the table over there. And, uh, and before you get it, that's the place where you'll also get to sign up uh, because next week we're going to be volunteering. Rather than gathering in this way, we're going ga- to be volunteering serving with the YMCA to put on the Jingle Bell Run. So what you'll do is you'll go to the back, and there's a volunteer form there. You'll sign up. It's not a big deal. It'll take a couple hours, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I know we have a number of people running, uh, and so I've already said to you that if John Wethington uh, runs and you beat him, uh, then, then uh, he will take you to lunch. And so uh, he has no choice. I have the microphone. I can say whatever I want. So... Um, so please do that, and we want you to take one of those albums, but we also want you to, to join us in serving next week rather than skipping church, and so we're going to put those two things back there together in the back, all right? Um, Jesus, as I mentioned, was able to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and this is saying something because, I mean, let's admit, we can do a lot for ourselves. Many of you are quite successful. You're independent, you're motivated, you're educated, you're pretty self-reliant. You got up out of bed today, put your clothes on. Some of you took a shower, brushed your teeth, ate enough food to get you through the day. There's a lot of things that you can do by yourself. I mean, let's just admit it. There are a lot of things in this life that people do without acknowledging God. There are many people that have what appears to be a completely normal, exciting life, and they have no care for God. There are others of you, well, there are some of you in here that uh, before you came to God, you actually were building your career. Things that 
we would describe as good were happening to you even before you came to the understanding that uh, what of the relationship that God provides to you. There are some of you that when you were a child, a younger person, you walked with God really, really closely, but then you began to slip away. But even when you slipped away, your career began to grow. It feels funny to say that, right, and to admit it, but it's true. But something we must realize is that no matter what our lives look like on the outside, the deeper, most significant things in life are provided by the Father because of the life of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes what we see as being an ideal life, lots of money, a great look, and a beautiful family, and a promising career, we see these things as the ultimate in this life. And so we build towards those things. But we must know that The deeper things, the soul-level things, can only be provided to us by the Father because of the life of the Son through the power of God's Spirit. That's our confession. We sang that today. So here's the question. What did Jesus do that we cannot do for ourselves? We celebrate this birth. It's exciting. Many of you celebrate it and get excited about it because it reminds you of being a child and and, and waking up and going to that tree and opening presents. You, You celebrate it and get excited about it because of the family time that you'll spend and the food that you'll eat. Yes, but really what we're saying is that we celebrate the birth of Jesus because he was able to do something for us we cannot do for ourselves. So what is it that he has done for us? And this is what we're going to look at in the next few weeks as a part of Advent. And I want you to know that these, these items or these categories that we're talking about, like peace, hope, love, and joy, these things won't just be talked about by our church. I think it's important for us to reflect on from time to time that as we gather in this way this morning, there are other churches gathering in our city, great churches, There are other churches gathering in our state, in our country, in our world. There's a lot of really God-fearing, Christ-loving people that will gather during this Advent season and talk about peace. To me, it's a beautiful thing, and it reminds us that we celebrate what Jesus has done, not just as individuals and as this little community of believers, but we celebrate it with a whole host of people from all over the world. We're one part of what God's doing in the world to make Jesus' name known. So today we ask the question, what did Jesus do that we cannot do for ourselves? And I just want to put before you peace. Look to your neighbor and say peace. You can even do this, like peace, you know, be cool with it, you know. Two big ideas that I want you to understand. In Jesus, peace has come, past tense, and in, in Jesus, peace will come, forward-looking. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, if you're there. This is the moment in Luke's narrative of the life of Jesus where he is uh, reflecting on the moment that the angels visited the shepherds and told them that there was a baby born in Bethlehem. And we'll unpack this a bit more as we go through the next few weeks. But just for now, in verse 13, we hear what the angels say about this one who's born. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth 
peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a remarkably powerful phrase. So here's the setting. The shepherds are tending their flocks. They might have heard that there is one who is going to come, a Messiah who is going to come to be a deliverer. Many of the Jews expected an earthly deliverer, a political deliverer. Well, the time had come, and so the angel who had already been speaking is joined by a host of angels, this choir of voices. And these voices say, in the presence of these shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This phrase, glory to God in the highest, is really significant. And in the first century, as the, this phrase and what actually happened began to spread, they would have thought of the Roman emperor Augustus, who had his own choir that was required to sing songs to him and to praise him. Did you know this? This is wild to think of. He employed a choir of people who sang songs to him to exalt him. And he was so proud of his accomplishments as a leader. He even built this, this famous altar called the Ari Pasis. And I think we have a picture of it here. This is a, a bit of a replica of it. But it's this altar called the Altar of Peace. And it's been, it was built by Augustus to celebrate his establishment of the Age of Peace. In other words, Augustus was given credit to himself, and others were completely okay with it, even singing about his supernatural power. He was given credit for this period of Roman prosperity and strength, providing a sense of peace to the people. And so when the angel shows up and declares glory to God in the highest, not only was he saying something about Jesus, this little baby that was born, but he was saying something that was completely contradictory to what the Romans were saying about Augustus. They were saying this host of angels was saying that there is a God that's much higher than the God that's worshipped in this land by the Romans. Glory to God in the highest. Psalm chapter 86, verse 8. The psalmist recognizes that, that this little baby who's fully God and fully man is unlike any other gods. He talks about God in this way. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Which is one reason we sing songs to God. Glory to God in the highest. The angels describe this one who is born as being a conveyor of peace. Now, the word peace here is really, really significant. It's a very robust word, a robust idea that we can talk about from a whole lot of different angles. Uh, the, the peace that the arrival and the birth of Jesus brings, it, it's more than an, a strength of inner disposition, like that little moment in your heart where you feel good about things, you know, you would describe as I feel peaceful. It's much more than that. It's much more than the absence of war. But when the word peace is spoken in the scriptures, when we begin to have our theological understanding of peace or our God understanding of peace develop, we realize that it evokes a whole lot of order. And, and, and it talks about social order and well-being and prosperity and security and harmony. The psalmist applauded 
God's peace by saying, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Now, can we just admit on a daily kind of a level that we need peace? There are people all around us that are on edge, right? I heard a story uh, about this, uh, this guy that was talking to his friend, and he said, he was trying to make the case for the fact that there are a lot of people out there that just are not living with peace. They're on edge. They're stressed. And to illustrate it, he picked up the phone, and he randomly dialed 10 numbers. Dialed 10 numbers. Waited. A guy on the other line picked up the phone. He said, hey, is John Smith there? Uh, no, you must have the wrong number. Okay. Put the phone down. Picked it again. Hit redial. Hello, is John Smith there? No, you have the wrong number. Has this happened to you, anybody? <laughs> Put the phone down. Looks at his friend. It's like, picks it up. Redial. Is John Smith there? No, you have the wrong number. He said, see, people are on edge. But watch this. Picks up the phone, redial. Hey, this is John Smith. Do I have any messages? You see, the guy on the other end, you'll get that later. Uh, the guy on the other end was someone who was clearly on edge, and he was irritated. He needed some measure of peace in his heart. And what, what, what really dug at him was the irritating situation that he had been put in for that moment on the phone. In the Old Testament, this idea of peace, which is translated in the Hebrew as shalom. In the New Testament, it's irene. But in the Old Testament, it's where we begin to formulate our understanding of peace according to the Scripture. And it, it's, it's when one asks of a prayer for the welfare of another, or it's when one is in harmony or uh, in the right relationship with another. Peace in the Old Testament is, is seen with when, when one seeks the good of a city or country, they're considered to be a person of peace. They seek the good for their city or for their people. Peace in the Old Testament can also mean like a material prosperity. Like people experience peace when they're not stressed financially. That makes sense, right? Peace can also mean physical safety. But it really, at its deepest level, has something to do with our spiritual well-being. Peace is associated with the righteousness in truth of a person. It's the opposite of wickedness. Yes, in the Old Testament, we get this understanding of what peace is, and we begin to see it in the New Testament too, but something that we must see is that in the Old Testament, although there are glimpses, it's, it's not the way it was meant to be. You know, there was a time in the history of humanity when there was complete peace, complete order, complete wholeness, and it's in the beginning when God created all things. It's before sin entered. There was complete order in the relationship between God and Adam and Eve, and between Adam and Eve and their, their children, and, or I'm sorry, between Adam and Eve. And then there was completely uh, peaceful relationship between, between the humans and the earth and the created things. There was a day when peace was completely there. But now we just get glimpses of peace. We get glimpses of restoration, Right? Did you see this story this week in the news about this New York City police officer named Larry DePrimo? What happened was he was um, on duty and he remarked that it was quite cold outside. And he looked down and noticed this homeless man. And what stood out 
to him about this homeless man is that this guy did not have shoes on. And he was thinking to himself how cold it was, and he had boots on and two pairs of socks. And so he looked over at this homeless man, and he thought, man, what a, what a sad situation. And then he saw two people walk by and laugh at that homeless guy. He knew he had to do something. So he went into a nearby Skechers, and he said to them, after having asked the homeless guy what his shoe size is, I need a pair of boots. And so the Skechers gave him this pair of boots, or sold him this pair of boots at a discounted rate. And so this New York City police officer is bending down and is putting this, helping this homeless man get his boots. Now, what's significant about this is not that it's outrageous or unique that a New York City police officer would do something nice, but one, there was a tourist that happened to be walking by herself, a child of a police officer. And she saw this police officer helping, this, helping restore order, in a sense, in this homeless man's life. So here is the picture. You can barely see it. But this homeless guy is pulling out of this box a pair of socks, and he'll eventually put on some boots. Now this moment, at this moment, we look at this and we go, yes. This is what we long for, right? We long for a world where when there is a need, people immediately meet that need. And it it is to the measure that there are eventually no needs. Every need is met. There's no homelessness, no hunger, no poverty, nothing. We, We look forward to the day when all that's been broken by sin is restored. You look forward to that day. You look forward to the time of complete peace. I know you do. Some of you, even at the holidays, you feel the brokenness in relationships and the, and the disorder caused by sin because for you, the holidays, although you enjoy getting presents and whatnot, sometimes when families get together for the holidays, what it does is it exposes the brokenness in our lives, right? Because there's family strife. There's problems, We long for the day where there are no more problems. When there's complete peace in every relationship. When there would be no need for this police officer to help somebody because there was no one hurting. When you completely enjoyed being with your family members the people that you're in relationship with because there's no strife, there's no pain. We long for that day. And the reason that there's chaos is because sin entered the world. So when the Old Testament prophets talked about peace and began describing it, it created a longing in people for a peace. Not the just surface temporary peace, but like an inner peace. They begin to anticipate the arrival of a Messiah which is why the birth of Jesus is called the beginning of the age of peace. When the Bible talks about Jesus bringing peace, it talks about something done by Jesus that cannot be done by mere man. Sure, each of us could go and do something nice for people, but there's not a one of us that can deal with the hearts of people, deal with our own hearts that would deal that would, would, would repair or restore the sin that's caused the pain in the first place. Only Jesus can. 
according to this chorus by these angels, the recipients of the messianic peace are said to be people of good pleasure. That's a really beautiful kind of a phrase. The passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, may the Lord bless his people with peace. They're to be people of good pleasure. And what it means to be a person of good pleasure, it means a person that's in the favor of God because they've experienced the peace of Christ. So we see that in Jesus, peace has come, past tense. But did you know that Jesus, during his life, preached a message of peace. In fact, Paul reflects on this message that he preached in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. He said, And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He preached peace to the Jews and then also to the non-Jews. The message of Jesus was one of peace. So not only did the angels say, hey, this is one that's coming that will bring peace. Jesus said, hey, I'm here to preach a message of peace. And then near the end of his life, in one of his last meetings with his closest followers, he says to them, I have come to give peace, the peace that surpasses understanding. Look at John chapter 14, verse 27. So if you have one of our Bibles, the very next book of the Bible, John chapter 14, Verse 27, Jesus here is talking to his disciples. The passage we read in Luke chapter 2 is at the beginning of his life. Here we are near the end of his life, just before the cross. He's with his disciples, and the disciples are maybe getting a little uneasy. They're unsure of how they're going to be able to live without Jesus. He has told them that he's about to go away. And so they know how difficult it is to live in the world that they're in, caring about the things that Jesus said they should carry about because of the sin and the brokenness and the pain that's all around them. And so they're unsure how in the world will they be able to live with peace when he's gone. And he says to them that there's going to be one who comes after me called the Holy Spirit. And what we see here in this passage in John chapter 14 is that God's telling them that that God's telling them that the Spirit is going to come and provide something for them that they cannot provide for themselves, and that's a peace, a deep soul-level kind of a peace. John chapter 14, verse 27, here's what it says. Peace I leave with you. Again, he's told them that he's going to, to leave. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now let's stop there for a second and reflect. What kind of peace does the world offer to you? A temporary peace, right? I mean, when you get that pay raise, it feels good. I mean, you think to yourself, oh, okay, we can do this. But it's temporary. When that relationship is repaired, I mean, there are times I have four children, and in my home where there's some strife and some fighting between them, and, and when the moments come that they're getting along, like last night when Kobe, my oldest, asked my six-year-old daughter, and the two of them uh, tend to be the ones that we get to teach how to get along the most, Kobe says, hey, Keaton, you want to have a slumber party in my bedroom? Let's sleep. We'll, we'll, we'll be together. And I was like, yes. Like, Gene and I are looking at each other like, yes, this is awesome. And like, they're getting along, and this is beautiful. And so there's a moment of peace. But you know what? This afternoon, I'm sure I'll have to break something up. It's just temporary, right? This, the world offers us a kind of peace that is so temporary. Um, I'm illustrate it in this way. Because the world 
thinks that what will give real peace is money and success and being popular. Yesterday, you might have heard the story about this Kansas City football player named Javon Belcher. Did anybody see the story about this, this man? Well, uh, Javon Belcher is, was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he was in an argument with his girlfriend. He, he, there are children in the room, but he harmed her permanently. And then he drove to the Kansas City locker room. And in the presence of the coach and the CEO, um, or the general manager of the team, he harmed himself permanently. Now, this is tragic. Um, you may or may not know, but we are, as a church, um, tied into the Kansas City Chiefs by way of uh, a friend of ours, a friend of mine, a longtime friend, a guy named Thomas Gafford, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Thomas has been a huge encouragement to our, our church all along the way in many ways. So yesterday when I found out that this happened uh, to one of his teammates, I text messaged him. I said, hey, man, I'm praying for you, strength and courage, you know. And he called me yesterday afternoon. We talked for about an hour on the phone about it. And the things that came out of his mouth were incredible. He says, he says, Russell, this guy was a good friend of mine on the team. His girlfriend was a great friend of my wife's. He says, he's the last person in the world you would ever imagine doing something so horrible. I said, what, what was going through his mind, man? I mean, how in the world does this just happen? Was it an accident? He said, no, it wasn't an accident. He said to me, he said, the thing that bothers me the most is what people are saying about him on the news and what people are writing about him on the internet. And so after Thomas and I got off the phone, well, of course, we prayed together, and I just prayed that God would help him shine the light of the gospel in that very dark situation. I, I, I say to him, oh, I think to myself, well, I wonder what people are saying. So I go online, and it's not hard to find comment sections on, sections on any story. If you ever want to know the depravity of man, just go look at the comments on almost any story on the Internet. And I look at it, and what people are saying is basically this. This guy, how in the world could he do this? He has everything you need, right? He's got millions of dollars. He's playing football in Kansas City, and I've been there with Thomas, and these guys are like gods. He's got a beautiful girlfriend that just a few months ago had a baby, beautiful three-month-old baby. And so what the world tells us is if you have lots of money, a good marriage, a beautiful child, then you have everything you need for peace. So how in the world could he get to a place with such internal strife that he would do something so heinous. You see, the peace that the world gives is limited and it's fleeting. And some of you all are pursuing that kind of a peace. Some of you live with, in a passionate pursuit for the kind of peace that the world offers. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having money and having a great relationships and being popular and none of those kinds of things. But if you're looking to those kinds of things for peace, you will be left empty because they will run out. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Don't let your hearts be be chaotic or too busy 
Do not let them be afraid. He's telling this to his disciples who no doubt were afraid because they were about to take the message of Jesus into a very difficult world. Do you know that in Jesus, not only has peace come, the kind of peace that reconciles us to God, allows for the forgiveness of our sin and for us to be made into a righteous person through the forgiveness of God for our sins. But also we know that in Jesus, peace will come. The Holy Spirit is given to us to do something in our inner person that will help us do what God wants us to do in this life. In Jesus, peace has come and peace will come, which is why we make such a big deal about Jesus. So you say to me, well, how in the world do I experience this peace? As a church, we've adopted this mission statement that says we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Well, we experience peace with a life lived in Christ, right? We experience peace with a life lived in Christ, which is a little mysterious, and it's hard to kind of get our finger exactly on what does it look like to have a life lived in Christ. Well, one thing it does mean is spending time with Him by studying the Scriptures and reading the Scriptures, but I really believe that most of what it means to live a life lived in Christ means to live it in community with other followers of Christ, to be a regular part of a church where you can be encouraged to see your situation like Jesus sees it, so you can be reminded of the gospel, the good news that in Jesus peace has come and peace will come. This is what it means to live a peace, in peace with life, peace of life with Christ. Being a part of his community of followers, of his body, that's where it's worked out what it looks like to experience the peace of life with Christ. And then in the midst of us working it out together and experiencing the peace of life with Christ, what we do is we help each other know how to take this peace to people that have not yet received it. This is the rhythm of peace. To receive it and to experience it as individuals and in community and then to take this to people that have not yet received it. And this is why we gather each week to encourage one another to do that very thing. Are you experiencing the peace of life with Christ? I pray that this holiday season you do in a way that you never have before. And I know that it means that you become even more committed to the body or the community of faith, be it this one or some other church, that you can hear people talk about Jesus from the Scriptures so you can experience that kind of life. Let's pray together.